Welcome to the Your Writing Success Podcast. My name is Natasha Alsoff and I'm a Grand Prix dressage writer from Australia, author of three books and a leading online trainer of writers all around the world wanting to take their writing to the next level. I'm also a chocoholic, mother of two amazing children and obsessed with helping writers be all they can be. Each week, I'm going to be bringing you stories of inspiration, ideas and strategies of how to make real progress in your writing, and give you actionable advice on overcoming writing fear and anxiety, so you can take your writing to the next level and be the writer you dream to be. So let's get into today's episode. Thanks so much for your time today, Warwick. Oh, no worries. Thanks for having me. Very pumped to chat. So let's get into the start. I'm always really intrigued how you got involved with horses. Did you love horses from a young age? What what was the starting catalyst for you? Today's episode of the Your Writing Success Podcast is brought to you by Writing Superstars. This is where all things writing happen. Whether you're interested in competing, dressage, goal setting, or overcoming fear in your writing, enjoy free weekly trainings and resources. Click the link in the show notes or search Writing Superstars on Facebook to join our global equestrian community. Yeah, I grew up on a farm in uh, South, uh, in, you know, in southern New South Wales, in a town called Young. If you've ever had cherries at Christmas time, that's where your cherries came from. Beautiful. Uh, grew up on a farm there, and, and Dad was into the rodeo stuff. And um, you know, by the time I was old enough to remember, he wasn't riding the rough stock anymore, but he was roping calves and stuff. So he always had a horse around for that, and he used to muster the sheep on the horse too. You know, so we always had horses around there, and. You know, I can't remember how old I was when I started riding. Um, I know I broke my arm off a steer at West Wyland Rodeo when I was in year five, so I'd be 10 years old then, and I'd been riding horses for at least a couple of years before that, so I probably started when I was maybe seven. I'm guessing, I don't know, I I really don't remember how old I was. That's okay, we're not going to fact check it (laughs) it's all good so um did you know what you wanted to be when you grew up did you want to be a fireman did you want to be a cowboy what what was your thoughts back then uh yeah i I, well i don't think i ever had the actually what i wanted yeah what i wanted to be when i grew up was a bull rider my father was a Mm -hmm. a very good bull rider he went to the national finals radio a few times in australia won the national finals one year um and so when i was a kid i rode calves and i rode you know junior steers and I rode steers and I rode junior bulls and I got on two real full-size bulls and it scared the crap out of me. I can only imagine. At that point in time, I would say, for many years after that too, things that scared me made me go away from them. Yeah. And so, yeah, I wasn't – I probably had the talent to do it. Yeah. But the the – yeah, that – Things that made me really uncomfortable, I found something else to do. Yeah, so you said that was in the past. Is that something you've changed? Like, uh, do you still run that pattern or? I've uh, been working on it for a few years now. Good on you. I'm a, a bit late to the party, but I think it took me quite a long time to realise that was the pattern. And, and yeah. Maybe actually probably took me a long time to realise, or probably took me a long time to admit to myself that was the pattern i think subconsciously i knew that was the pattern and i was pretending it wasn't the pattern um and so yeah for the last few years i've been working on 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 all that sort of stuff yeah but i think it was a pattern i had for a long time and it and it comes back to if you really get into the technical stuff really comes back to some childhood trauma i had that that Mm. and that i don't know how much that we're going to get into later but 
understanding that stuff um, and why it's there goes a long way to helping, I think, because for me personally, I knew it was there and for the longest time had a lot of mm, critical self-talk about the fact it was mm. there mm. without even knowing why it was there. So it was just a, a judgment I had on myself. Since yeah. I realised that it was there for a very good reason and, it, you know, then, then it's kind of like you can forgive yourself and you kind of go, see, yeah. it wasn't you. you yeah. Choice you made it was something that happened and so yeah and i think i think it starts to the world starts to look a bit different then and i was very very late to the party i mean you know i think someone who starts to wrap their head around this in their early or mid-20s or something rather is probably going to have a little bit of go at life than if you if you don't wrap your head around it but anyway at some point in time you've got to wrap your head around it and mm. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing. And you're absolutely right. Like we do a great job subconsciously to protect ourselves and we're doing the best we can. And if we come up with little strategies, we're smart enough, like our unconscious is like a three-year-old. It's like, I'm just trying to help and um, this seemed to work. So we're just going to run with this for the next hundred years. Um, and we're not really going to look for something different unless we actually dive in there and go after that. So yeah, that's huge. Okay. So... Yeah. with a friend of ours named Jane Pipe. And Jane is a question mindset coach from New Zealand. She was actually our mental coach for the World of Question Games. Yes. But, um, she's taken a really deep dive into the nervous system and all that sort of stuff. And I was just doing a podcast with her recently and she blew my mind because I've always had, so what I was just talking about a minute ago, I've always had a freeze response. You know, you have your fight, mm. response, fight response or freeze response. And I've always had a freeze response. Never really had a fight response. So as a male growing up in Australia, not having a fight response, you get a lot of negativity and you tell yourself stories about yourself. And so yeah. I've poorly judged my freeze response. Mm. And it blew me away in the middle of a podcast here recently when she said, that response is there for a reason. Mm. It's there to help you. It's your best friend. It was there at a time when you couldn't help yourself. Yeah, and I was like, "Holy cow! You've just completely changed the way that I think about." See it, yeah. That freeze response. I've always thought it's like this thing I've got to over. Wrong. I should be ashamed of it. I think I'm past the ashamed of it part, but I was still like, "Yeah, I've had that bloody freeze response." And the way she made me put it's like it was there for a reason. You know, it, it was there absolutely when you couldn't be helped in the other way. And I'm like, you said it's basically your best friend. And then I was like, huh. And I'm really big on telling people with help working with their horses, you know, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at, mm -hmm. change, that was definitely one of them right there. It's just like, whoa. One of those. I see that because I would think if someone working with horses has a strong freeze response or a strong fight response, the freeze response is obviously a lot better for working with horses and for getting an outcome with, with the horse. Would would you like to talk about that a bit? Yeah, it was so, you know, it turned out that I've been uh, shut down for a long time. I've had, you know, I've had a form of depression for a long time and had it for so long I didn't know I had it. Normally people yeah. have depression because they feel different and they go and get some mm. help. And the therapist says, oh, you were I was the same yeah. way for a long time, so it was my normal. So I didn't go seek yeah. help because I thought something should be different. 
and so and part of that I've always thought depression was having this case of the sads. You, mm. know, you have to be sad. Yeah. I've never been sad. Um, but what I have had is no emotions. You know, like you tell me someone ran over my dog, I go, oh, I feel mm. sorry for you. But I wouldn't actually feel sorry for you. I mm. think so for you. But I wouldn't actually mm-hmm. have a sensation about that. I think... Yeah, if someone were going to have my dog, I wouldn't like that either. You know, I'd, I'd be sad, but I would be sad here, but it wasn't a felt. Not here, yeah. And so I think, and now I've been, you know, doing a bit of a deep dive for the last three years working on that, and I have this stuff working a bit now, and it sucks. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Feeling is shit. <laughs> um, but I think but not. But the good, the good feels are good. <laughs> um, I think not having that really helpful Yes. Oh, look, he's I was going to say. Have fun with that. You know, you don't you don't take things in a certain way, um, and so yeah, I think it it can be it can be helpful. And these days, it's not probably quite as helpful for me training horses because for the last three or four years, I've been working a lot more on energetic stuff with horses and. Mm-hmm. So, before it was all cue-based mm-hmm. interaction, training horses, when I do this, you do that. Yeah. Nowadays, it's more, there's a bit more energy involved in it. So you've got to have energy and sensations and emotions and you've got to, you've got to have that feel. And I really like, I really like uh, how it's all going with the horses with that. And I, I have noticed at, um, and I, I think when you uh, have that shutdown, but you have this, you have this kind of a barrier, energetic barrier up around you. You don't let others in. And I think yeah. horses feel that too. But these days, like at clinics, it's been happening for a couple of years now, and it's not every horse, every clinic, but there'll be someone with a horse and it's on the end of the lead rope and it's bouncing around and it's, you know, it's anxious. And they go, I say, just hand me the lead rope here and I'll show you what I would do. And I'm, I'm about to do something with the horse. And sometimes they hand me the lead rope and the horses just go, they come over and they're like, put their head against your chest, put their head against your gut and just or just sniff you or hang with you or whatever. And it's like, I don't know what the hell happened then, but I didn't, you know, I try to tell people I didn't just do something right then. It wasn't like I went, okay, I'm going to harness this calm energy and project it towards the horse or something like that. It's just, they must just feel how I'm feeling these days, but it never happened in the past, you know, and, it, and it's huge, noticeable for me. Yeah. That's when I start raving on about what I'm on about these days, which is about, you know, self, you know, personal growth, personal growth and self-knowledge and all that sort of thing. And I think the more of that stuff I do, the easier the horses have, the easier time horses have being around me and the easier time I have been around them. But, yeah, so it's, yeah, it's, it's um, I, I think being shut down was very helpful for a long time. Um, mm training horses, especially when you're training horses for other people because I think there's there's training horses for other people and there's training horses for yourself. And when you're training them for other people, you have to get the horse to work for them like a motorbike or a car or whatever and not pick up so much stuff. But when you're working with training a horse for yourself, it's more of a relationship thing. You know, you think about it, training horses for other people, it's almost like training a good employee. Mm-hmm. Work on time, and he listens to what the boss says, and he has important stuff, but he doesn't tell the boss what he really thinks. 
mm. where relationship has a lot more give and take. And so, yeah, these days I'm really more about helping people with their horse, not helping people with how to train a horse that they could just hand off to somebody else. I mean, a lot of times you can, but, but these days it's more about the relationship part. That's what I'm really into these days. That is so huge. Um, and it really is taking it to that next level, isn't it? Like, um, uh, I think about with horses, yes, okay, can you walk, trot, canter? We can make sure that they walk from an aid, trot from an aid, canter from an aid. But it seems like you're speaking about that it's very hard to language. I'm being very clumsy around it. Um, with the, that they want to walk for you or they, they walk with you, not for you anymore? Is it more a with you kind of scenario? Is that what you found in this journey of, of um, and there's obviously a lot more vulnerability because if, if, if I stand away from it and I go, okay, I'm just going to apply the aid for walk and you're going to walk as opposed to we're going to do this together and see where we land? Yeah, it's, it's, there's quite a bit of vulnerability to it because before if the horse doesn't walk, like, hey, I asked you to walk. Mm. It's feedback. He's communicating with you like, okay, what is it What is it that I'm doing here that you're not liking about, you know, like it, it, they, they basically have the ability to have an opinion. Mm. You start letting your horses have an opinion, they will tell you what they really think of you and it can be very easily to be offended by that. And it can be very easy to think, no, I don't want that much input. We'll just go back to doing what I was doing. Mm -hmm. But uh, if you look at it as valuable information about yourself more so than it, – it's, it's information. It's not a, it's not a judgment. It's yeah. just information about you. And if you can – and see, the whole I – think, I think judgment is um, – I think judgment is a is – a, Changing how, changing your judgment, you know, a few years ago, and this is a bit of my personal development training, but a few years ago, I, um, was presenting at a horse expo in America, and most of the horse expos, or most of the things you do at a horse expo are a demo with a horse and rider, or a horse on the ground, or whatever. But sometimes they'll have you do like a lecture in like a lecture hall. Right. Did one at this horse expo that I've been, I've done it the same title for, you know, two or three years before that, and it's called Everything in Life I Learned from Horses. And I had um, done this lecture this day, and I was walking back to my booth, and I walked past the booth of this lady, and she's a mental coach here in America. Anyway, she said, how did it go? And I said, oh, I'm exhausted. She said, why? Because mm. I, I, you know, I, I don't have a, a set, you know, I don't memorize what I'm going to say. I just start talking about it. And I said, but but I lent I let out some stuff today that I've not really let out before, and like it's it's exhausting to do that in front of a crowd of hundred or two hundred people or something. And she said, oh yeah, vulnerability, blah 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 blah. And she mentioned the name Brene Brown, and I've never heard of Brene Brown. Brene Brown fan? Yes. Yeah. So um, so I got a book of Brene Browns and listened to it, and in there she said, you cannot selectively suppress emotions. If you suppress the lower ones, you automatically suppress the higher ones. And, you know, as a male growing up in my generation in Australia, boys don't cry, you don't show fear. In my family, you don't show grief. Like you go to a funeral, like, oh, well, he's dead. Most yeah. you know, That's how it was, rural Australia. Yeah. And so when I heard that, I thought, well, I know I've got the lower parts have been, you know, suppressed. 
Mm. But I've never thought, could I have more joy or more happiness? Mm. So I started I started going to a type of therapy called dialectical behaviour therapy, DBT, which was was initially invented for people with uh, adults, highly suicidal adults is what it was developed for, but I think now they use it for anybody with any emotional relationships. And I had someone suggest I go to DBT. Went to DBT for a whole year, both individual therapy and group therapy, never got anywhere. Mm. Apparently, you actually have to have some emotions for this type of therapy to work. You've got some emotions that are out of control, and it teaches you how to control them. It doesn't help you to find uh, it. Yeah, they were really big on. And we had homework and the group therapy and stuff. And uh, one of the one of the weeks, what they had us do was for your homework for this week is to count judgmental thoughts. Okay, so maybe put a clicker in your pocket, you know, like the bouncers have at the nightclub, or put some rocks in your pocket. Maybe judgmental thought, move them to the other side. And I thought, well, I'll have about three judgmental thoughts all day, so I'll just get three rocks and stick in my pocket. So I got up the next morning. Yeah. <laughs> Twenty-one before breakfast. Yeah. And I realised that there's just this constant stream of judging, whatever is right in front of you, and. It's not until you start being aware of your judgmental thoughts you realise you have how many you have. Yeah. But on top of that, more importantly than that is when you start to be aware of your judgmental thoughts, not only do you realise how many you have, you start to realise how many you have about yourself. Mm. That you know, and you've got this, this stream of negative criticism about yourself in your head all day long that just runs back there and you don't even know it's there because you're not aware yeah. of it. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, Brene Brown, she's a shame researcher, and she says the difference between guilt and shame is shame is I am stupid, guilt mm. is I did something stupid. And if you did something stupid, then you go, well, next time I'll do it differently. Mm. It's shame, it's I am stupid. And so mm. being aware of those judgmental thoughts allows you to reframe them. Let's say you just did something stupid, and you go, God, I'm mm-hmm. so stupid. Then you go, hang on, no, no, stop. I'm not stupid. Did a stupid thing. <laughs> yeah. And I think that that's huge when you start to when you start to do that. And and I know a lot of women in in like I do clinics, you know, with horses, and a lot of the people, most of the ninety percent of the people, are women. I do clinics of twelve yeah. people, and it's not often I have a man. It's rare I have two. So it's yeah. mostly women. And if you think about women, um, they almost get educated to be very self-judgmental. Like pick up pick up yes. a woman's magazine and see if you can read the cover where it doesn't say guilt-free recipe. Mm-hmm. If they have a recipe that's guilt-free, that's telling you you should feel guilty for eating what you're eating. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? There's so much. Mm. And men to a lesser degree, I mean, we have, we have the, the negative self-talk about other stuff, but I think I think women have a much harder lot in life with that negative self-talk because there's so many things they're supposed to be. And um, and I think you know, with with horses, a lot of that a lot of that comes into people's interactions with horses is that just that negative self-talk they have about themselves. And so if you can I think if you, you can start to get a handle on that it really it really changes the way you look at things and see what i tend to do now is i can look at a horse do something and not judge it yes 
on both ways. It can give you feedback and you won't judge it on that. But, it, yeah, because the horse doesn't want to be judged. That's huge. The thing is if you judge it, then you'll have a certain response to it. I remember yeah. I was in Perth doing some clinics. And so my clinics are subscriber-only clinics. So I have a, an online video platform that has 600 some videos on it. And my clinics to subscriber only, not because I want you to pay me to watch my videos every month before you come to a clinic. I have found that if people come to a clinic and know nothing about me and other people are subscribers and have done the work, I have to spend most of my time bringing the others up to speed. Yes. And so I just started doing subscriber only clinics. And so I, uh, and when we release the clinic, you've got to be a subscriber then and usually release the clinic about six months before. So basically you've done six months of homework before you get there and I can help you get to the next step. I'm not helping you with step one, and but remarkably a lot of times I am. But yeah. if you can get through stuff before you get there, I'll help you get further along. And as a clinic, yeah. first thing in the morning, this lady said, hey, my horse got kicked or he cut himself last night and I can't be in the clinic now. My lady at the adjustment place, she's only just started watching your videos. She just started two days ago. But um, can she bring her horse? I'm like, no. She's like, oh, please. No. Oh, please. No. But I'm a people pleaser, sort of do. I said, yes. And so it was the afternoon group. Which means it was At the time I was, I used to have 12 people all day and then I went to six people for half a day and now I have three people for two hours. Works much better. But this is when I had mm-hmm. six people half the day. And so I said, yeah, she can come in the afternoon group, but she has to realise that I'm going to get to her last. Okay? Yep. She watches this morning. She sees what the ones doing the groundwork do. She yep. can start with that, but I'm going to help the other ones first. So she came in and went over in the corner and she was over there doing stuff and I was helping all the others. And some lady who was watching the clinic in the grandstand, she stands up and raises her hand. She goes, aren't you going to do something about that? Stop it. Aren't you going to do something about that? I said, sorry, do something about what? She goes, that lady over in the corner. And I looked over there because I was thinking maybe the lady's abusing a horse or something or other. Mm. Standing there with a the horse. And I said, what's going on? She goes, that horse is rearing up. I said, so? She goes, well, aren't you going to do something about it? He's rearing up. I mean, she was really uptight about this horse was rearing up. And I said, what is she trying to do? She says, she's trying to get a horse to lunge around her and he, he won't lunge, he just rears up. And I said, so? She goes, well, he's rearing. I said, well, what are you excited about? She says, well, he's rearing. I said, okay, would you be that excited if she was asking a horse to lunge and he wouldn't move and he just stood there? And she said, well, okay. I said, do you realise that rearing is standing still on two legs? <laughs> he's not doing anything. He's not rearing up and coming at her. You think he's coming? Well, mate, what if he did? See, there's your problem right there. You are, you are judging and putting all these future scenarios into what you think might happen, but it's not actually happening. He's standing yeah. still on your legs. Yeah. Now, if you're riding him, that's something, that's something different. That's something you'd want to be concerned about. But she's not riding him. She's standing on the ground. and yeah. he's standing, She's standing here and he's standing over there. He's not trying to bite her. He's not striking her. He's not doing it. He's just standing still on two legs. And it's that sort of judgment that, that, and the lady, it wasn't bothering her, the one with the horse, the lady in the stand yeah. was, but if the lady in the stand was holding onto the horse, her energy yeah. would be off the charts and then her responses would make that, that whole interaction go very downhill in a hurry, whereas it, it doesn't need to go downhill. Yeah. You know? So, yeah, being able to, you know, I, I learned this, that when we first started talking about judgment in that, uh, group therapy was one night they said she said the therapist said okay so what we're going to do is we're going to go around the room each of you is going to 
identify three objects in the room. And I had to go first. And I said, okay, there's a lamp, and there's a funny-looking chair, and the, she goes, whoa, stop. I went, what? She goes, that is not a funny-looking chair. That's a chair. You think it's funny-looking. I might think it's beautiful. You judged it. And I went, I didn't even realise I did it. And then since then, like going home to Australia and doing clinics and being around different people, you know, like Australians are very, especially where I grew up, you know, the next door neighbour. He's sure he's sheep too early, sure I'm too late, the fences are too high, the fences are too low, he joined the cows too early, he separated, the, weaned the calves too late, he put the bulls in too early. Stuff that just doesn't need to be commented on. And, and I never realised it because I grew up around it. And once you start to be aware of it yourself, and then you, it, it almost becomes really annoying to be around people who who do it, you know. And, um, yeah, I, I found that 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 changing that judgment completely changes your energy. I mean, after after doing a therapy for a year, like I said, I hadn't got much, I didn't get anywhere with the emotions, but I didn't do any clinics all that year. That was the year we went to the World of Question Games and I didn't do any clinics the whole year. And then at the beginning of the next year when I started travelling again, I was in the airport walking along and I, I know I people watch, Okay, who doesn't people watch in the airport? But I realised I'm not thinking the best thing about these people. I'm scanning them and coming up with a, well, I wouldn't wear that in public. Oh, you know, you've got a Rolex on. You think you're something hot, don't you? You know, blah, blah, blah. And I was walking through the airport and all of a sudden I realised I was doing it. And so my wife and I had been to like a meditation retreat, resorty sort of thing during the year. And one of the yoga sessions we're in, at the end of it, this lady said, may you be happy. Mm. While I'm walking to the airport, I thought, okay, I'm going to try that. So I'm walking along and every person coming towards me, when I looked at them, instead of looking them up and down and finding the worst thing about them, I looked them in the eye and I gave them a little eye smile, whether they looked at me or not, and I thought to myself, may you be happy. Yeah, beautiful. Some people don't look at you. Some people look mm-hmm. you in the eye. When you look them in the eye and smile them, they look down. And some people, they look you in the eye and you look them in the eye and you give them a little eye smile and they give you a little eye smile and there's this little... Energetic exchange, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so I finally get to my gate in the airport and I think I have a completely different feeling inside me right now yeah. because I've just replaced a negative thought with a positive thought. And when you, when you replace that negative thought with a positive thought, you don't just lose the bad. You get the good, which is the yeah. world heart. You know, it's not like... It's not like the heater went, from, you know, it's not like the, the, the temperature went from uh, in Celsius, you're outside, it went from 8 degrees to 14 degrees. It mm. went from 8 degrees to 27. Like there's a, I don't just mm. not feel cold anymore. Now I feel nice and warm. You know, it was, it was kind of that, it was that difference. And all it was was just a change in my perception. Instead of Absolutely. Them, I looked at them and I wished them well. I had it's kind of like having a gratitude mm-hmm. practice. How gratitude practice? Yeah. yeah, that is huge, and it's something. Um, do you have kids? I have uh, one son. Yeah, he's twenty-three. Yeah, um, we've got a four and a six-year-old, and it's something we can't, I teach them every day. And it's it. I don't know when it's going to kick in, but I'm like, guys, it's not what happens to you. We get to decide what that means. If someone looks at us and smiles, what does that mean? If someone looks at us and yells at us, what does that mean? If we win something, what does that mean? If we lose something, what does that mean? Because none of it's real. 
all of it is made up in our own head and it's just every day I'm, I'm reminding them of that, reminding of them of that. And it, it is not what how we're born. It's not how we come onto the planet. We come onto the planet judgmental and negative and critical and um, in the in the fear zone. And breaking through, it's, it's going to take me their whole childhood, I can see. Oh, I'm, I'm applauding you because that's very, very, very cool because that's not, that's not the childhood I grew up in. My parents were great. Yeah. Thank them. It was the time. You know, think about think about men's mental health in Australia these days. Oh Don't, yeah. Don't talk about that back then. Think no. about you know, think about after World War Two, World War One, World oh, War Two, yeah. Vietnam. It's survival. The you know, the stuff that those guys had to hold inside because you, you you're not allowed to talk about it. You don't talk about it, you know. And then if yeah. you know, Brene Brown, I was talking about her a minute ago. She says she only used to research women and girls because she wants to help women and girls. Mm. She said, you know what? If we're not doing anything to help boys and men, we're not yeah. doing anything to help no. girls. And you think yeah. about all the families, the wives and the daughters of returned diggers from World War I, yeah. World War, you know, all that stuff, they're the one who bore the brunt of it. Yes. You know what I mean? And so I think, Men's mental health is quite a quite a big thing, you know. And um, yeah, it's just like, you know it's things that weren't talked about back then. But doing that with your kids, that's amazing. Like my son, he's twenty three, and I don't know what yeah. planet he's on, but uh, not this one. Um, you know, he's he's got a way of looking at life that. I had only just started to wrap my head around the last couple of years. So yeah. it's, it's just, it's just amazing. It's, it's, yeah, it's very cool. I mean, he, um, yeah, I'm just, uh, and, and, and it's not just him. All the, all his friends he hangs around with, they're all the same. Yeah. You know, like, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's just a, it's a different world these days. Hopefully, hopefully mm. it's locked up, but my son's definitely on the Yeah. Track. Okay, so well, let's talk about success. You have been incredibly successful, um, national reigning horse association world reserve world champion, represented Australia at the 2010-2018 World Equestrian Games. Um, is that important? Uh, what 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 have we've been talking all podcast about? What that means? What does that mean to you? Um, uh, and yeah, just speak about what is that? Because I, I assume it's a great moment when it happens, but all moments are just ever moments of now, and they disappear. So what happens after that? Oh, really, that's a great way of putting that question right there. Um, well, the you know they're not that big a deal. Like the the National Running Horse Association Reserve World Champion was in a lower division. Okay, it's not the, it's not the big, so it'd be like, uh, in dressage, it might be, you know, one of the medium type levels. Yeah, you know, it might be Pre St. George, but it's not the, you know, it's not the, the, the whole Shimano. That, like, it's that big a deal. It's, it's usually a stepping stone for someone on the way to somewhere else, sort of thing. And the two, you know, the two wig, the two WEG appearances, uh, there were there were both times there were more um, probably experienced Australian reigners who could have, who should have been on the team before me. It's just it just worked out that they weren't, you know, they couldn't, you know, qualifying for WEG is a is a campaign. It's mm. a, mm. a 
and and you know it just happened so both times um i was in the right place at the right time but you know i yeah i don't i don't really think of that stuff much of as the success part of part of things i mean the things i learned along the way yeah that's good i mean the the, the last wag i think was was very 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 cool because it was post well during the therapy thing but during some of my new ways of looking at things and we actually had a um i talked before about i've just got off another two-hour podcast with another australian so i'm trying to remember if i told you that story um i think i mentioned before about yeah about jane pike the mental coach did i talk about her yeah yeah. So when we qualified for WEG in 2018, I hadn't been training horses for several years. I'd just been mm. doing, traveling and doing clinics and doing my videos. And which means I hadn't been competing much because you compete on yeah. client horses. And so when we decided to try out for, for WEG, I bought well, the horse I ended up competing on. We, we owned him already. Uh, but I bought another horse to go and get back in the show ring and, and start competing. And I, I struggled all year. I wasn't very good all year. But partway through the year, we, we got Jane to help us um, with um, some mental coaching. And one of the things we did, we did a Zoom call like this with Jane, and she would ask us questions, and then she said, okay, I'm going to do something with these questions. And then she sent us an audio to listen to. It was a 35-minute long audio, and she said, you have to listen with stereo headphones. I'm like, okay. So I start listening, and Jane's babbling away. Jane's pretty... Perky and Jane's babbling away in both ears and about 10 minutes in, this Jane keeps talking and a new Jane shows up here and she's talking about something totally different and you can't listen to them both at the same time. You listen to this one, you listen to this one, sometimes you just zone out because it's too confusing. But I listened yeah. to that quite a bit and when we went to to WEG, uh, the first round, which is the team competition, uh, I went in and competed and this is where my, my ass cheeks are supposed to be clamped so tight shut, it's not funny, you know. And it wasn't that at all. I've never been that focused. I've never been in that state of flow like that. I've never been that relaxed, clear, calm, present, aware, the whole lot. It was the weirdest sensation. I've never, even in a little show, I've never been felt that relaxed. Mm. And afterwards, I was like, that was totally different than any competing experience I've ever had. And I couldn't figure out why. And so at WEG in the raining, the first round is the team competition. And then the top, the top, well, they have 20 in the individual medal finals. And what they do yeah. with the round is they take the top 15 from that first round and then they go straight to the finals. And then they have a semi finals, which is uh, 16th to 35th place. And they have a semi-finals and the top five out of them goes to the individual finals to make up 20. Well, both my wife and I qualified for the semi-finals, which we had no thoughts that was going to happen. And then, so I do the semi-finals and I'm three points higher than I was in the first round and had to have a personal best score. And the same thing, it's like completely in the zone, the flow state, calm, relaxed, present, aware, alert, the whole thing. It's like, whoa. And we ended up, Robin just missed the individual finals by one spot, and then I was the next spot down from that because she actually beat me. Um, and afterwards, it's like, that was the weirdest sensation. Like, I've not felt like that competing before, and I got to pondering what was it. And then I realized that it's not necessarily what it was, it's what it wasn't. And then I realized, mm -hmm. hang on, 
every time I've ever competed, I've had this voice in the back of my head that says, you suck, who do you think you are? What do you think you are doing? You can't do this. You can't, you won't, yeah. I've never been aware of it. I've only ever been conscious of, like I've never shown a horse that I wasn't competent, that we can do that, that what we, we, we know what we can get done. So I'm aware of that. What I wasn't aware of was this, what Jane calls the itty bitty shitty committee in the back of your head. Yeah. (laughs) When it wasn't there, it was totally. You were free to just do and just be. And it wasn't until it wasn't there that I actually realized it was. And looking back now, it's always been, but I've never known it was there. And I think we all, all that self-judgment stuff, uh, we all have that. And until you learn to tell that itty bitty shitty community to shut up, um, until you change that, it's, I think it's always going to haunt you. So yeah, that, for, for me, the success at WEG was learning that. Mm, that's huge. And what a gift. You, that would have been fun. It was fun. It was. Yeah. And both my wife and I'm like, that was fun. <laughs> that's apparently why we do it. <laughs> It was like, it was fun. You know, when you come, when you get off your, when you come out the gate at WEG, you hop off and you hand your horse to your groom, then you're going to go over where they do the, the interviews and stuff. And both times going over, there was like, that was fun. Yeah. Like, yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was very, very cool. So yeah, the whole, you know, the WEG experience, I was just I'm very fortunate to, to be involved both times. And, um, yeah, just, um, you know, 2010, after 2010, it was like uh, marriage, childbirth, world of question game sort of thing. Mm. And after 2018, marriage, childbirth, 2018, world of question games, 2010, world of question games. You know, it's that, but the, it was a little bit anticlimactic, the 2018 one, because, you know, just the whole, the place not being ready and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. It was yes. good and the arena was fine. So that, the, part that really matters that was yep. all good but one of the coolest things about 2010 in kentucky was when we got there we had a, a, a team hotel and so the eventers and the dressage people and the uh show jumpers and the paras everything the vaulters all in the one hotel well we didn't know most of them and that yeah. was the first australian reigning team wow and we show up to the host hotel and we're thinking these people are going to look down, us, down their nose at us like we're the red-headed stepchildren, you know, like <laughs> a bunch of podunks. And, we go in, and nothing could be further from the truth. We go in the hotel and they're all out beside the pool having a barbecue and like, oh, the rainers are here. Come out, have a beer. Sit down, tell us about it. So how are you going to do that? And so they're all excited about it. It was so cool. And they yeah. came, came along and watched us compete. Um, you know, That's there's beautiful. an athlete right by the in gate to where you don't need your ticket to get in, you know, a suited ticket. Mm-hmm. And they're all cheering for us. And um, this year, or last two years, sorry, two years ago, uh, Equestrian Australia had a new CEO. Yeah. So she she came and watched us compete and we hung out with her a bit and that was very cool. You know, the, the team vet, he used to come over and hang with us quite a bit and, you know, my yeah. wife, when he, she, when they announced the score uh, in the semifinals, so she's almost out the back gate and they announced what the score was, and she's gone, yeah, raised one fist up in the air. There was a picture taken from the other end of the arena, and so, so from behind her, but right in front of her along the front rail is the, the, I think it's the CEO, 
of the Question Australia and the team vet and the show jumping coach and then our grooms and then Jane Pike, our mental coach. But it's just like this eclectic Um, group of people. And I've got a really cool video of me running circles competing and Brett Parbury's hanging over the back gate. Yeah, I love it. I love it. What an amazing experience. Okay, so when you look at, at your life now, there's obviously been a great transformation and there's so much learning and I'm, I'm just loving our conversation. What is important to you now um, and where do you see yourself in five years and ten years from now? Oh, that's a great question. So what's important to me now? Well, that's, you know, I read a book a number of years ago called Backbone and it's a man's healthy, healthy book sort of thing. And in that book, at the start of the book, he says most men spend all their life thinking if they get four things at once, they, they'll be happy. And those four things are material wealth, vocational success, health, and love. Mm-hmm. Wealth. So you can buy whatever toy you want, you know. Yep. Uh, success, you're kind of at the top of the pile of whatever you do, health, love. That's pretty easy. And he said most men never, ever get there. And they're like, if mm-hmm. I could just get there, I'd be happy. He said the unlucky mm-hmm. one get there. And mm-hmm. we, and then realise, uh oh. This is what the view looks like from here. I thought it would be different. Mm. But then what you've got to do then in order to be to feel complete, then there's really three things you've got to have. Number one, you've got to have a purpose. What is your reason for being here? What's your purpose? What's your legacy? What are you how are you here to help, basically? Mm-hmm. Number two is you've got to have a deep and authentic spiritual belief. It doesn't have to mean you're religious, but you've got to have a mm-hmm a deep, authentic connection to something bigger than you. Mm-hmm. And then it could be fishing, you know. Um, it could be surfing. It could be a lot of things. Uh, and then number three is you've got to get rid of your bullshit. <laughs> Love it. That part. Um, and the second one. And number one, um, number one came to me. So, you know, I, Right now, I've got about 20 million views on my YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in the past four years since I've taken a turn down the woo-woo part sort of thing, I've kind of, I've been very upfront about it. And mm. there were enough people who kind of believed what I had to say from what I used to do who thought, well, I'll have a look at this too. Yeah. Quite a few of them have like, they've overlapped me and taken way off down the down the rabbit hole i'm pretty slow but it's there's been a lot of people that have kind of joined me on that on that journey and a couple of years ago last year maybe yeah sometime early last year i was in australia on some clinics and my wife went and saw this lady she had some friends of her said you've got to go see denise make an appointment to see denise like who's denise they said just go see so she makes an appointment to go see this lady and Lady works out of a house. Robin goes in there. She doesn't know if she's a massage therapist or what she is, you know. Goes in there. Turns out Denise is an astrologer. And she asks Robin's date of birth, place of birth, time of birth, and then she reads her stars and she records all the stuff that she says. And so I was in Australia and that night Robin calls me. She goes, I went and saw an astrologer today. I'm like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) You would not believe what she told me. Like it's so, like, true. She said, why do you get home and you've got to listen to this? This empty thought she sent me. 
So MP3 she sent me. So I come out, I get back from Australia, and I listen to it, and I'm like, oh, she's pretty spot on, isn't she? And she said, yeah, you should go see her. I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll go see her, whatever. So I go along there and uh, give her my uh, – and I do it ahead of time. I email her and tell her I'm coming and, you know, I give her the place of birth. Because I had to ring up mum and say, what time of the day was I born? Yeah. And so I go in there and I sit down and she's got it all printed out and she starts looking at it. She goes, oh, oh, this is this is very, very interesting. You don't see this very often. You're a cryon, which is – and I'm like, what's that? She goes, it's a wounded healer. I'm like, mm, okay. Mm. That was on for a bit, and she says, so it says here that from the day you were born, it's been written in the stars that what your purpose here is to gather up a large number of people and lead them towards consciousness. Oh, love it. And I'm like, that's a bit heavy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I want the easier one. <laughs> um, and I'm thinking, yeah, but I'm the only person in in the world with my name. Okay, there is not another person in the world with my name, and I'm easily found on social media and stuff. I bet she's looked me up before I got here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh yeah, from the believing point. Yep, yeah, I'm with you. That can't be it. That's not me. So I basically wrote it off and about oh, a couple of months later I was doing a clinic in Michigan which is on the other side of the states from where we live and two mm-hmm. of the most in America are Flint Michigan and Detroit Michigan and I wasn't in either of those but I'm in Michigan so it's scary you know and I'm not much of an urban dweller anyway I'm more of a country boy <laughs> I got done with the clinic on a Sunday night and I went out to dinner with the clinic organizers and I had to I was going to drive back to the hotel, which is probably an hour away, and I had a really early morning flight, and I had to take the car back to the airport in the morning and drop it off at the place and then take the shuttle bus over to the airport, so I was going to have to get up pretty early, So, I, and I had to fill the car up with petrol, so I thought I'll do it tonight. So I'm driving back to the hotel about 11.30, and I'm in a sketchy area of this city, and I see a petrol station. So I pull in there, and it looks like a scene out of a gangster movie, okay? Okay. I'm a bit concerned so i jump out and in america you pay before you pump so i jump out swipe the card and then i grab the pump and i try to open the petrol cap on the car and it won't open I'm like, oh god, god, god so i hang the pump up and i get in the car and i'm looking for the little button that opens the petrol cap and i can't find it and then my inside of the car is dark and my eyesight's not good at night time i'm like oh where is it where is it I'm, I'm, I'm. then i jump out I'm like i know what you gotta do you gotta unlock the doors it's on the key ring thing it, unlock the doors still can't get it open i'm like bugger this i'm out of here I hang that's cancel and I jump back in the car and I start the car and I start to pull forward and there's a big knock on the window and I turn and I look and there's this African American fellow with his face right in the window. He's got this huge big neck tattoo and a bit of skin off one eye. And I look at him and he puts his hands up and kind of steps back away from the car and he says, oh, I, I don't mean you any harm, mister. And he doesn't have a, a ghetto sounding way of speaking he actually has like an educated sound he says i don't i don't mean you any harm sir and i kind of paused and i rolled the window down just a little bit and i said can i help you and he says sir i I don't mean you any harm can i just can i just tell you my story real quick i'm not gonna hurt you okay and so he says "I'm, i'm a i'm a gospel singer from alabama and i've come up here to help build a church um 
he gives him the details, like it got called off and, you know, he, there's miscommunication. Anyway, he's been sleeping in a porta potty the last two nights and I just need $19 to get a room. He says, and I know you're probably telling me, why don't you go to the hostel? You can get a room in the hostel. He says, but I don't have a Michigan driver's license, so I can't get a room in the hostel. And about this point in time, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to give the guy some money. He seems pretty legit, even though he's scary looking. And so I turn the car off and roll the window down and he says, my name's whatever his name is, and he reaches through the window and we shake hands. As in, I'm worried. We're shaking hands through the window and we're looking at each other. And as we shake hands, he starts to sing this gospel song. Wow. And this guy can sing. Uh. It's 11.30 at night in this, you know, petrol station. There's other people loitering around, but there's no noise. So it's silent. This guy's singing. It's like you're in a cathedral somewhere. And so he's singing. And so we're not shaking hands anymore. We're just holding hands. And I'm looking him in the eye, and he's looking me in the eye, and there's no blinking, looking away, it doesn't feel weird at all. We're holding hands, staring at each other, and he sings this gospel song. And then when he gets to the end of the song, then he starts praying for me. And he starts praying, and he prays for four or five minutes. So, I mean, by this point in time, it's been eight or nine minutes we've been holding hands and staring at each other in the eyeballs. And it doesn't feel weird. That's amazing. So then he stops praying. And he looks at me like, kind of like, like he got a jolt of information or something or other. But he looks at me and he goes, I don't know what you do, mister, but you have influence over thousands of people. If not tens of thousands of people, if not hundreds of thousands of people. And your sole purpose here on earth is to lead those people towards God. <laughs> he leans forward and he says, and the only thing holding you back is your fear. Mm. Like shit, you got me in one. Yeah. <laughs> what? I've just got goosebumps. Like what? You can't even write a story like that. Like a scenario with all those components. And as he says that, the only thing holding you back is your fear. His left hand reaches around behind him like he's reaching into his waistband. And I'm thinking. So this is how it ends. And funnily enough, I'm not afraid. It's just like, yeah. it's like he's going to pull out a gun and pop me in the head. I've got a backpack full of cash sitting on the front seat beside me. I'm like, hmm. so now I know how it ends. Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, he must have itchy eyes because he's here. Yeah. <laughs> so I gave him a hundred bucks and said, hey, get some food, get, you know, get some food, get a room for the night, look after yourself, good luck on your journey. And I drive out of there. And I drove up the road about 50 feet and I just pull over beside the road. I'm like, what the way? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Oh, that is amazing. Wow. Okay. So that's, I'm What are you up to? What are you, where is your, what are you going in life? What's your next five years look like? Just doing your purpose. Doing that. I love it. So um, anything, like, I love it. Like 99.999% of people on the planet don't even get to what is my purpose. Now you know what it is and you know every day you've got to fight. I don't know if you've read the book. Um, I can't even think of the name right now. But it's very much um, you versus you. So there's you in the red and there's you in the blue and you've got to fight every day. Um, I will find the name and, and send it to you. It was about writing a book basically that anytime we want to do something great with our lives, 
um, we will stand in our own way. That, you know, if you want six pack abs, that's going to, something will stand in your way. If you want to lead, lead a nation, that's going to stand in your way. So, um, yeah. Is there any big goals, anything, um, that, that is coming that's, you're ready to articulate today as part of your, I'm stepping into this. This is what I'm doing. Um, yeah, well, I think the, I think the part of that bit where he says, is there anything holding you back in your fear? Mm. Like, really all in. I was, I was pretty yeah. public and vulnerable about what I was up to, but I yeah. wasn't all in as I could have been. So since then I'm like, I'm kind of all in. Um, and, where I'm, what I'm, where I'm really heading towards these days, instead of people helping people train their horses, which I was doing for a long time, we're trying to get more into the helping people with themselves. Yeah. In order to train their horses. Yeah. Uh, it'll help with everything else in their life too. You know, my wife's making a big. My wife was in human resources for 25 years. Yeah. A couple of years ago, she went to Canada and took an equine assisted learning course. Yes. Hoping to do like, um, say corporate stuff, you know, like corporate yeah. team stuff like that, because that pays really well. And then what she was hoping to do was make enough from that so that she could do a lot of pro bono work for like, uh, women at risk, youth at risk. Uh, so good. That sort of stuff. But now she's kind of like, no, I really want, I think she wants to be part of what I do and get more into the help more on the, the, the human side of it, really mm. turn it more into not necessarily leadership training, but the, yeah, there's that a part of it too. But just, you know, and I'll continue doing what I'm, I'm doing, but I think we're going to start having clinics to where, like people don't come to one of my clinics to get therapisted. Yeah, you know, yeah. Therapist. But set up some clinics where people are coming to do that you know, Robin's been, there's a, a therapist that lives near, not far from us and she's a friend of Robin's and she has horses. She, you know, she rides horses and she does a lot of equine assisted therapy. And so Robin's been in on help assisted her with quite a few of those things. And so there would be a, you know, it would be a horse training clinic and it'd come along and help you get along with your horse, but it's helping you get along with you a bit before get along with your horse. Like this lady that she has worked with, she has, and we tried it at the last clinic we did here at our house, we tried it, it worked really well. This lady talks about the, the four things you need to think about. There's the four things you need to be aware of. There's you, there's what's going on with you, what's going on with your horse, and, and, and it comes from human interaction, like what's going on with me, what's going on with you, What's going on between us and what's going on in our surroundings and how does it affect that? And Love we just say, so what's going on with you? What's going on with your horse? What's going on between you and your horse? And what's going on in the surroundings? And most mm-hmm. people are aware of number two and four. Yeah, I was going to say four. <laughs> yeah. And you're right. Yeah, what the horse is doing. Snorting and that person over there is opening an umbrella, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Get the whole, what's going on with me? Yes. And what's and going on between us? And mm-hmm. so that's, that's something we want to get into because I think it's, um, you know, and it'll, it'll be, like I said, it'll be people will know what they're getting into. They're not, we're not going to spit that. I mean, we just touched on it in our last clinic was just a regular, regular clinic. And you know what? It probably, it probably, um, 
it allowed me to point out some things I haven't been able to point out before as a horse trainer. And, and Robin asked me to, to, to do that, but it's, that's my fear kind of holds me back, you know, and the fear of what will they think. And there's this one lady mm-hmm. in the and um, she wanted to do everything very poorly but not get anything right and then complain about the results of doing everything poorly. And I, I said, you know, you're, you, you kind of rush everything you do with your horse. And then I took a breath and then I said, can you think of any other areas of your life where that happens? Which is the thing I'm afraid to do. That's, you know, and I said it. And she sat there and she said, now that I think of it, every part of my life. And so I, did, I didn't fix it. But when she left here, you know, I had an understanding that, holy cow, I did the same thing with my horse as I do with my life. And the reason my life's like it is is the reason my horse is like it is. And it all has to do with, number one, what's going on with you? And so, yeah, that's where, that's where we want to kind of work more on that. Still doing what I'm, I'm doing now, but have that as an aside, have that as like a like a next step, like a second damn black belt sort of thing or whatever, but have, have, it, have it as the, the, next, the next step if it wants to be a next step or the first step if people want to come on for that. But, yeah, so that's kind of what we're – that's what our real focus is. I, I've found so much – difference in my life from this bit of a you know, three or four year journey that I've been on. It's like, I just want to shout it from the treetops. Yeah. If you shout it from the treetops, people will go, you're a whack job. And so I think that comes back to, we call that thing in the, in the petrol station, the night I met black Jesus. Okay, that's that. I love it. I mm. love it. <laughs> Basically what black Jesus said is your goal is to gather these people and lead them to God, consciousness, self-knowledge, whatever you want to call that thing, mm. they don't just go there. You've got to lead them there. So, I, you know, I think I had to be mainstream. If that's, if that's my purpose in life, I had to be mainstream for, you know, six or seven years and get people to go, see enough of me to go, you know what, yeah, this guy makes sense or this guy. Because Real. you don't, I don't think you, whether it's in advertising for food in a supermarket or whatever, you don't see a product once and go, yeah, I'll have that. It keeps, mm-hmm. pop, keeps popping up. And after a while, I'm like, I might try that. And I think, you know, I was around for long enough, you know, not doing anything spectacular with horses, but kind of just making sense about, common sense about just typical, you know, horse sort of stuff where people got to think, yeah, this guy, you know, I, I, can, I can get on board with what he has to say. Mm. Uh, and then as what I noticed was as I started making the changes and to be more relational with horses rather than, than you know, obedience, going from obedience-type training to relational training, there's a lot of people who have said, well, I kind of like what you did before, but it just didn't sit right with me, but this sits right with me. And so it's funny, being very public about the changes that I've made and saying what I used to do, I don't, I don't look at it that way anymore. You could think, oh, that's a good way to commit commercial suicide. Mm. I didn't look at it one way or the other. I've always mm. been a bit upfront about what I did. It's just I changed what I was doing. Yeah. Um, and so but what it could have been commercial suicide. It could have been people like, that guy's a whack job. But it's actually been the opposite. Like more people like, yeah, I kind of liked it before, but I wasn't quite fully on board because you had that energy about you. But now I love this stuff, you know. Mm. And so um, 
yeah, so that's kind of the leading, and now I'm going off in a bit more woo-woo land, and if they want to join me, they can. But, uh, yeah, so that's that's where we're going. But I'm really – I've really had such amazing changes in my life from doing some of this inner work that I yeah. want to share it. I don't necessarily want to shut it from the rooftops and because I, I, I don't think getting fanatical about anything is the way to – it's like this this whole United States right now. We just had this election. There's this big political divide. And all the guys on the right think the guys on the left are whack jobs and tell them so. And all the guys on the left tell the guys on the right they're whack jobs. I think they're whack jobs and tell them so. No one's convincing anybody to change sides by acting like that. No. You don't, I don't think you convince anybody to do something different by yelling at them telling them how stupid they are. Mm. I think you're going to lead by... You know, by by your actions, you kind of plant a seed. You say, you know, and and the 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 situation I'm in, I get to go. So what I used to do was this, but then I started doing this, and then I found that what I used to do was redundant. I didn't have to do that anymore. I don't say don't do this. Mm. You're doing wrong. Like, yeah, I used to do that too, but then I started doing this, and it might seem a bit weird, but and you know, you kind of plant a seed, and you let you let. Um, you you know let that let that seed grow sort of thing. Mm. Mm. I absolutely love it, and I think I think the more people that it is confronting to suddenly realise that you are responsible for everything in your life and all the feelings that you choose to experience in your life. Um, it's it's terribly exciting and terribly con- confrontational at the same time. So I'm super pumped that people are, yeah, I want to learn this and I want to I want to go on that journey because that is the journey to happiness. Like I always say happy can be felt in any moment, but the fulfillment piece or that or that 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 satisfaction piece only comes when you are in control of you because we can't be in control of external and the world because that's chaos. But if we can determine and be responsible for our response to it, then that gives us that, that power feeling. And that's horse training right there too. You can't Mm. control. No, no way. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Once you, once you start to realize that, then it stops being the horse's fault. Yes. No. Maybe need to change my approach, but it, it just takes all the judgment out of it. You stop judging you, you stop yeah. judging the horse. Um, you tend to become a lot more for, uh, forgiving to yourself. And yes. I think it, it starts with others too. Like, you know, this whole judgment thing is that, and then there's the, the understanding why I ended up the way I was. Um, and then I realized, oh, that wasn't a choice I made to be that way. That was things that had happened to me. And when you do that, I remember uh, in January during the bushfires, down the south coast of New South Wales. Are you in New South Wales or Victoria? Victoria. Um, down the south coast of New South Wales, one of those towns that was were cut off, were evacuated. Mm. There was a couple that got caught sneaking into a Harvey Norman or something or other. They were looters and they stole a TV and a VCR or something like that. And I remember at the time when I saw that, because I read the, I get my, you know, I'm Australian, I make a cup of tea with proper tea in a teapot every morning and read the Australian news online. And I remember reading that article and there was a lot of, in Australia, there was a lot of people that thought they were the worst thing in the world. And I 
kind of felt sorry for him. I think how yes. If that was your where you got to, those are the choices you're making in life. You didn't just wake up one morning and go, you know what, I'm going to do a dog act. You know what I mean? I, you think about and I, about um, you know, a lot of books, but quite a few books on trauma. And then there's a there's a fellow from uh, Canada named Dr. Gabor Mate, and he's like one of the leading world's leading experts on addiction. And anybody who's an addict is addicted for a reason. Yes. Like, you know what? I'm going to do that. There's you know there's a lack of dopamine in the brain. There's a lack of serotonin. There was things that happened when they were young that changed their brain chemistry. And you know, I recently, or oh, probably four months ago, maybe five, four or five months ago. My wife sees a, a naturopath and a couple of times a year I've got to go up there and they draw blood on me and then they tell me what all my levels are and I really don't care. I'm what they call a wellness patient, which I don't really have anything wrong with me. And so that's that's not, you know, it's not like, yeah, I need to find that result because I, you know, I'm not feeling good. And one of the times I was getting the results over the phone and I said, you know what, this stuff doesn't really interest me. Can you bra- can you measure brain chemistry? Mm. We can do a neurotransmitter test. I'm like, that's the test I want. And so I did a neurotransmitter test. Get the results back from that. She says, you are running on empty. You have no serotonin, no dopamine, no neuroepinephrine, no any of the excitatory chemical, uh, no GABA, no. She said, you you are running on empty and anxiety. And Mm. I said, I'm not an anxious person. But that's Mm. because. Shut down. Shut down mm. is just another form of anxiety. It just makes it all go away. But you're not, you know, good. So, so I've been now taking a lot of different supplements to to boost it up. And about next week, I've got to go back in and get retested. So it'll be interesting. But, but yeah, for me, it was such a relief to get that test back. Yes, tonight. There's a reason I'm the way I am. It's this is it's not me. The judgment can go away. You know. Yeah. I've I mean, I've got no serotonin. I've got none of the excitatory chemicals. No wonder I feel blur. Yeah. I feel blur because that's what's going on. And so, yeah, chemically, yeah. Yeah, so you think about, um, especially listen to this book, it's called In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts by Gabor Mate. Okay. Um, and he doesn't fix anything. He just, he just talks about where addiction comes from. Mm-hmm. You start to feel sorry for people. That that way. Instead oh. of judging, oh, you're just a darrow, buddy. Hey, if you had grown up in their shoes, you're probably in the same place. You know what I mean? Yeah. So judgmental of others, and and so you know, it started out for me learning how to be not judgmental with horses, and then it's it's transferred over to people, and you just become more empathetic to everybody's plight rather than being judgmental about stuff. And you know, Australians mm. are pretty judgmental. Mm. We, we grow up with that whole tall poppy syndrome, and so that's a you know, that's a big one too. So yeah, so but I really think that um, yeah, it just changes your outlook on life, and you know, instead of looking at people with a negative energy, you tend to look at them with you know compassion. Yeah. Absolutely. And um, that's the world right now, isn't there? There's cancel culture and there's there's um, just just the, the social media of, of an, anonymity. 
nearly got that word out, um, that, that is our culture now. And it's terrifying. It's terrifying for me with small kids. It's terrifying um, for how, if you're going to raise the consciousness, how do we help people understand that there, there can't be judgment and there can't be... There's, it, 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 I'm always fascinated by humans' need for it to be right or wrong. I'm like, what if it's neither or in both? What if it's just grey and it's right and wrong at the same time? What, what would that be like? <laughs> it was about how neuroscience is um, basically confirming what the Buddhists have been saying all along. In its core, no self, no problem. Yeah, okay. Yeah. How neuropsychology is catching up with Buddhism. Anyway, so it's, it just talks about, uh, you know, non-judgmentalism and a lot of that sort of stuff. But it talks about a lady in there, she's a scientist, and she was very right-brain thinker, right-wrong, good, bad. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. She had a stroke. And when she mm-hmm. had a stroke, it separated the two sides of the brain. So she's now thinking with the left side of her brain. And she said... The world was a different place. Same brain. Yeah. Just the side of the brain was working. And uh, I bookmarked it because i got to look up who she was. She wrote a book about it. Yeah. I've got to get that book and listen to it. But, yeah, full-on scientist, right brain, right wrong, ones and zeros. And, yeah, just the experience she had from the stroke. And, and, And eventually she learned to, you know, she got over the stroke, but now she's aware of what she calls the middle everything brain. else yeah that was always there but she just could never experience or see it yeah we're both trying to get to is the, the middle ground mm. and yeah, it was interesting for someone like her to and it's a bit like me you know, I, I very 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 right brain um but yeah it was just an interesting little passage in that book about how she just totally viewed the world differently and felt differently about things that she saw her brain was still working it's just it mm. wasn't right brain dominance i love it brilliant all right i've so enjoyed our chat i could chat for hours more but i will end it there is there anything you would like to share with anyone any we've covered so much i'm sure everyone is buzzing with their neurons thinking of things in different ways anything you'd like to leave us with um well for a long time i've been a big fan of a, a um, american philosopher named wayne dyer well not necessarily yeah. one, of his, one of his sayings and one of his sayings is when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. And it's not just your perception of what you look at because everything has a, a, an energetic component to it. Um, you know, horses are huge readers of our energy. And I think when you change the way you look at things your horse does, if you don't look at them with annoyance anymore, not only do you not have you're not only you're going to react differently, but your energy is completely different. It's just like me walking through the airport. I went from people watching to saying, may you be happy. And the the difference of the feeling inside me was palpable. And it's the same as like the, the, the feeling I had at the World of Question Games. Walking through that airport, I didn't realize that I've always had this dark, heavy feeling inside me when I'm walking through the airport judging people because it's normal. So I don't, I don't have a comparison. But when I did the may you be happy thing and I felt this light, Airy feeling is like, oh, that is so different from that other one. And, and so if you can just, especially with people with their horses, if you can just 
get rid of the labels. And she's not a bitch and he's not being stubborn and he's not trying to put it over me and he's not narky and he's not this. It's all valuable information. Horses do not lie to you. They pretty much tell you what they're concerned about unless they learn not to tell you what they're concerned about. And that's just the same. That's kind of the same thing too. But yeah, if you can just really change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. And it's not just what you see changes, but your input into that thing changes. Yeah, huge, huge. Thank you so much. Um, what a gift you've given everyone today. Anyone that we need to mention, anyone you would like to thank um, and give a shout-out to before we end today? Um, I want to give a shout-out to a horse named Sherlock. Sherlock's the one that uh, was the horse my wife bought that I thought I could fix and I couldn't fix, and he's the one that really got me looking outside the box and wow. off. So, yeah, I'd have to say, I'd have to say Sherlock. I love it. And I need to give a shout out to your wife because I love how we, you, we've, we've, I feel like I know her. And I just think she's remarkable. Someone says, go see Denise. She doesn't know if she's going for a massage. She doesn't know who she is and what story. And she's just in there. So she has some, some good tenacity and some good, I'll just go with it. I'm sure it'll work out. So I'm loving her. <laughs> My um, my son, he graduated from uni with a degree in business and he came home and joined us last year and he helps us with our stuff. And his best friend lives in Hawaii, he's in the Coast Guard. And so about four months ago, he moved to Hawaii to live his best life. Love it. The Coast Guard. So he surfs, so he likes, he does a lot of surf, he's high to Rock climb, he likes to surf, he likes to hike. There's not a lot of rock climbing in Hawaii because the rock's a bit slippery and grit. Uh, but there's a lot of surfing and there's a lot of hiking. And, you know, just the other day he sent us some pictures. He went shark diving. So he met this guy who's a shark diving photographer. So they went out and so he's got pictures of him uh, diving with sharks and stuff like that. And he's just been, right now he's home for a little while and he's just up in um, Red Rocks in Nevada rock climbing this week. But I have a, one of the things I do that's a bit of an odd thing is I have a chest freezer, so a deep freeze here in the yeah. garage for the water, and I take an ice bath every day. Yeah. I've cold showers for a couple of years, but I've been doing the ice bath for probably all this year, I think, probably all the last six months maybe. And so he's been living in Hawaii. They don't even have an air conditioner in their house. You know, it's, I think it's uh, 34 in the day and 26 at night every day, basically. <laughs> The morning, the first morning he got, first day he got home, I said, I'm going to, I'm going to jump in the ice bath. You want to get in? He looked at me like, no. And then he goes, and I went, so I went out to the garage and pretty soon he comes out there and he's ready. And I said, oh, you're going to do it. And he goes, I'm starting to realize in life that just say yes. Yes. Say yes to everything that comes along. Say yes. Mm-hmm. And what you, a life when you do that. Yeah. What a life well lived. Say yes. I love it. And do you follow Wim Hof's, like is that a Wim Hof ice bath with the breathing as well or you have just you just like cold showers and cold baths? I, well, I started Wim Hof stuff. I went to a Wim Hof seminar yeah. and did my ice bath there. Um, I don't do the breathing that much, if at all. Yeah. But I do the, I do the ice cold bath. Therapy. I do yeah. the cold showers okay? um, yeah. do, do the ice bath. And it's all, you know, it's all the, the Wim Hof stuff. The breathing I probably should get back to. I um I have been doing some weird stuff in the last few years, and one of the things I did was I went to Florida and did a three-day ayahuasca ceremony. 
Oh, yes. I so want to do one of them. Was it amazing? Yes. Scariest thing I've ever done. Yeah. (laughs) Heels, you open and you get to stare into the abyss. You get to see what's really in there without nothing covered up. Um, But one of the things they did there was this holotropic breath work, which is very much like Wim Hof breathing. So you lay on the Mm -hmm. ground, hello, they play this really loud tribal drumming on these speakers and you're supposed to breathe in time with the drumming. Mm. Slows down. The most amazing experience I've ever had in my life. So it's an hour of of breathing. And it's just like the Wim Hof breathing. It's pauses on the in or in the out. That it's, it's but sometimes it speeds up, sometimes it slows in, and it just goes on. But it went on for an hour, and I'd done the Wim Hof stuff before. That thought, I can't do it for an hour, no way. But you just keep going, and yeah, mm. one found experience. I had, I had, I was laying there on my back, and I had some sort of entity holding my right hand and my left hand. And oh, I could feel I that. One was a big hand, and one was a little hand. So I don't know if it was a little me as a child, what it was, but it was the most amazing sensation. That was fun. The ayahuasca yeah. was the ayahuasca yeah. fun at all. Uh, it was yeah. worse. It was the best thing I've ever done, the worst thing I've ever done. But yeah. that holotropic breath work, which you can do at home. Yeah. Um, very much like the Wim Hof breathing. It's, uh, yeah, it was, it's, it's very, very cool. I love it. As I said, I can talk to you forever. We will have to do a repeat at one point. Thank you so much for your time. Everyone would have loved it, I'm sure. Um, uh, have I, I think we're all going to look forward to seeing what else you release and watching you on YouTube. Where can everyone find you on YouTube, on social media? Uh, YouTube, I think my YouTube channel is just Warwick Schiller. Yep. And on social media, it's Warwick Schiller Performance Horsemanship. On, I have a Facebook group that's a private group that you got to ask to get into and then there's a, I have a, a fan page too and I post a lot of stuff on there as well. And Great. We will put that in the show notes for everyone so you guys can click on it. Oh, and I have a podcast too, the Journey On podcast on all the platforms, Apple, Spotify, um, the podcast app. And so that one's, that one's fun because I get to interview some really interesting people on there. Like every, every week I'm just like blown away by some of the stuff. There's a, I'm going to quickly say there's a lady from um, Scotland I had on there a couple of weeks ago. I don't know her name's Tanya Kindersley. She's an author. And uh, she writes like one of those people, she could write what she had for breakfast and sound like poetry. Mm. One of the quotes in her thing the other day, she said, uh, she goes out, she's got an ex racehorse, and she says, I go out in the pasture and I just connect on an atomic level and I, I realise that, I'm made up of the remnants of exploded stars. I love that. Yeah. And so is she. And I stand there and I peer across the species barrier at her. And we I love it. It's like, whoa, that's just <laughs> I don't, Yeah, we, we explain that a lot more cruder, don't we? <laughs> She's one of those people that, you know, you could listen to talk and read the phone book would sound good because she got a great accent too. Yeah, so there's some, yeah, some pretty interesting people in there. We will put that in the show notes as well, and I will be tuning in. I can't wait to listen. That sounds amazing. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time today. You're welcome. It's been great talking to you. Thanks for having me. To stay up to date with the latest content, don't forget to hit subscribe to this podcast. Go on. Hit subscribe. Remember, I'd love if you would also love to leave us a review to help us how we could do better or make this even more amazing for you. And remember to follow us out 
Instagram at Your Writing Success and Natasha Altoff.